This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfcc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Uh, I can tell that I'm nervous this morning because I forgot my kotsu, which is a teaching stick. And I think I can teach without it or, or share some words with you anyway. My name is Tova Green. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a resident here at City Center. And uh, one of my roles currently is acting Tanto. The Tanto is the head of practice. And uh, I want to thank Anna Thorne our last Tanto who uh, invited me to give this talk and lead this one day sitting feels like quite an honor and I'm really happy to be here with all of you. I'm curious uh, if you wouldn't mind raising your hand if this is your first one day sitting. Well, quite a few of you, thank you for coming and being brave to embark on something you haven't done before. Uh, I think of uh, each day, but particularly a one day sitting as a kind of journey. And we set out in the morning, we don't really know what's gonna happen during the day. There may be some unexpected things and uh, we get to the end of the day. And sometimes at the end of the day, I reflect on some of the, uh, I would say, um, things I'm grateful for that happened during the day and some of the challenges of the day. And you may experience a mix during this uh, day. And I hope that you will be able to approach it with a beginner's mind, a mind of curiosity and openness and uh, allow in whatever arises for you. Um, someone asked me the other day, what is a Dharma talk? So I've been thinking about that. And the Dharma is another word for teaching. Originally, it was the teachings of Shakyamuni Buddha, the historical Buddha. But I think of it in a much broader way that uh, everything and everyone can be a teacher for us, every experience. And um, there is uh, a, a phrase, all things teach the Dharma. And I think we learn from each other. We learn from uh, trees, from uh, animals, from uh, things that happen in our, our city, our country, our world, everything that we come in contact with or hear about has an impact on us and can be a teaching if we explore it. So um, the title of my talk today is Walk Like an Elephant. And I borrowed this title from Suzuki Roshi. Uh, there's a chapter in a book of his talks uh, called Not Always So, 
And it, he, this chapter was, the book was edited by Edward Brown. And so I'm not sure that Suzuki Roshi himself would have named the talk Walk Like an Elephant, but that's what it is in the book. Um, and he says, our way is to go step by step, appreciating our everyday life. Then we can see what we are doing, where we are. We practice like a cow rather than a horse. Instead of galloping about, we walk slowly like a cow or an elephant. And I think that's especially appropriate for a one-day sitting. I know not all of you here are participating in the one-day sitting, but this may carry over. And that also not everybody online is participating in the one-day sitting. And I forgot to welcome those of you who are online um, listening and thinking about how might this apply to your lives. But I think um, this uh, suggestion of walking like a cow or an elephant can help us think about slowing down and not rushing from one thing to another and having a schedule like the one we have for the one day sitting where there are pauses, where there's enough time to get from one place to another can really uh, invite a slowing down, being more aware when we're walking, how we're walking and um, being more aware of our body our bodies, our, our minds, our, our emotions, and just tuning in. It's a, a really one, and the silence also helps that quite a lot. So I say we're fortunate to be able to take the time to be together in this way. And for those of you who are only here for the talk, to see if you can somehow carry the spirit into the rest of your day. Uh, and, you know, recently I house sat for a friend who lives in Point Reyes and her house has a backyard and there's a, 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 a fence, um, a fence you can see through uh, to the, the ranch that's just on the other side. And this ranch is a cattle ranch. And when I sat outside in the morning, with a cup of tea, the cows, I'm gonna wait just a moment. May they get where they're going in time. I heard someone say that once when sirens were going by and I, I that's what comes to mind. May they get there in time. And it's in great contrast to this bucolic scene I was talking about, <laughs> sitting in this backyard, looking out at the cows that came cl very close to the fence and were looking at me and appreciating their slow pace and when they were grazing, just taking their time. And yet, at the end of the day, I saw them, they were at the far end of the pasture, which was quite a distance away at the base of a mountain and they were tiny, but you know, how they got from where I saw them in the morning to where they were at the end of the day, walking slowly, it was a mystery to me. But anyway, that feeling of cows walking slowly, 
uh, 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 stayed with me. And also that Suzuki Roshi said, walk slowly like a cow or an elephant. And um, that admonition to walk like an elephant reminded me of a story I heard my teacher, Agent Linda Cutts, read once in a Dharma talk during a Sashin. And I'm not going to read the whole story, but I'm going to quote from it. And I, I really think that the main character in this story, which is a children's book, uh, was a bodhisattva and can teach us a lot, can help us also uh, enter into um, thinking about some of the qualities that um, enable us to be awakening beings. And some of you will know this story. It's called Horton Hatches the Egg. Is there anyone who has never heard of it? A few people. Okay, great. Um, so I'm going to briefly tell the story and share a few stanzas. And the story starts, um, the Horton is an elephant and um, he is just walking along and a large bird whose name was Maisie was sitting on a nest and she saw Horton going by and she asked Horton if he would sit on the nest for her because she really badly needed a vacation. And, um, Initially, Horton was reluctant, but Maisie just uh, convinced him or cajoled him into sitting on her, her, her egg. That was, she was sitting on an egg in the nest. So he managed to prop up the tree so that he could climb onto the nest. He was very large, of course. And um, this bird, and it's not clear where the story actually takes place, but someplace where there are elephants and either Africa or India, and and she managed to fly all the way to Florida, and you see her there having a great time and forgetting all about her egg and the nest, and she doesn't go back. And meanwhile, Horton keeps sitting there, and the season changes, and it's snowy and icy. I don't know about in Africa or India, but you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. Uh, and Horton says these words, which I always remembered. I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful, 100%. Very catchy, easy to remember. Uh, but he just sat there, and he kept sitting into the spring when his friends, all the other animals, were teasing him because he was sitting there. And they went off to play without him. And he was lonely, but he stayed and sat on the egg. And he kept sitting there when some hunters approached and they aimed their guns at him. And it was very scary to Horton, but he kept sitting there. And then they decided instead of killing him that they would uh, capture him and take him to uh, a place where they could sell him to a circus. And he kept sitting while on the boat, even though he was seasick, a boat crossing the ocean. And then after landing, this is an amazing story, actually, after landing in New York. <laughs> and then 
touring to a different city each week. Uh, the text says, poor Horton grew sadder the farther he went, but he said as he sat in the hot, noisy tent, the circus tent, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant, and elephants faithful 100%. So then the climax of the story comes when the circus arrives in Florida, and remember who's in Florida. <laughs> so Maisie is still on vacation, and she just flies into the tent where Horton is still sitting on the egg. And at that moment, he feels it's hatching and he hears it cracking and this egg uh, begins to hatch. And then Maisie says she wants the egg back. It's my egg, she sputtered. You stole it from me. Get off my nest and get out of my tree. Uh, poor Horton backed down with a sad, heavy heart. But at that very instant, the egg burst apart and out of the pieces of red and white shell from the egg that he'd sat on so long and so well, Horton the elephant saw something whiz by. It had ears and a tail and a trunk just like his. <laughs> the onlookers stared then cheered at seeing the elephant bird. That's not part of the, doesn't rhyme. That's, I'm shortening the text. Yeah, so uh, he had a lot of support from those who saw what was happening. And then uh, the author, Dr. Seuss says, it should be, it should be, it should be like that because Horton was faithful. He sat and he sat. He meant what he said and he said what he meant and they sent him home happy 100%. Now the last uh, drawing in this book, the pictures are wonderful. The last drawing shows him at back where he started from with all of his animal friends and this, um, uh, I guess you would call him an elephant bird, this child that he, I, we don't know what happened after that, but I'm sure he raised this child. So anyway, I, I'm fairly sure that Suzuki Roshi was not familiar with Horton Hatch's The Egg when he said, sit like an elephant. But hearing the story, uh, it does remind me of particularly the uh, quality of patience. But I thought about all of their, uh, these six qualities uh, they're called perfections or paramitas that can help one cultivate the mind of a bodhisattva, of an awakening being. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit about those six qualities and how Horton embodied all six, but also then how that pertains to us who are sitting all day today or leaving and going on with your lives, but also maybe find these, uh, para you, some of you are probably very familiar with the parameters and some of you may be hearing this for the first time. So um, I hope there'll be something valuable for everybody. So um, there are many books about these six qualities. Uh, and one that I, I 
um, looked at uh, in preparation for the talk is by Tension Reb Anderson, at, who lives at Green Gulch Farm. And his book is called Entering the Mind of Buddha. And he calls these the six heroic practices of bodhisattvas. Uh, and you might think of Horton as heroic in the sense that he um, overcame many obstacles and uh, was true to his purpose. So Reb writes, uh, these practices invite us to enter the mind of Buddha. They are based on the bodhisattva vow to become Buddha in order to benefit and liberate all living beings. So this bodhisattva vow, sometimes we, we say it as, uh, I vow to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. Uh, and what does that actually mean? Uh, it's how can we benefit and liberate all living beings? And these six qualities are um, helpful aspects of training ourselves to be ready to respond when we're needed. Uh, so the six paramitas or um, perfections are generosity, uh, the ground of all of them, ethical conduct, patience, uh, joyful or heroic effort, uh, concentration and wisdom. And uh, Reb sees them as ways of finding a kind response in this world of suffering. And the six uh, practices really arise together and each one includes all the others, but it's also helpful to look at them one by one. So I would say I'll use Horton as an example with for generosity, you know, responding to a request of someone, responding to a request of a friend uh, is a generous act. Um, and might reflect on some of the ways you've been generous even today. You know, some people were uh, ringing, uh, ringing bells and um, uh, offering um, chant, leading the chanting, um, Mako opening the sendo, um, people cooking breakfast, the cleanup crew throughout the day. Every uh, many people will be generous just by maintaining silence so that all of us can enjoy the silence in the building. Uh, for those of you who are um, online or who didn't start your day at, at city center, you can think of some act of generosity you or someone close to you offered this morning. Um, sometimes we don't necessarily notice, but when you, you slow down, it's often possible to say, oh, that was, someone did that for me. I'm grateful that was very kind generous. Um, uh, so ethical conduct uh, for Norton, I meant what I said, I said what I meant. So his actions, you know, he and his speech re 
were congruent with his uh, promise, basically, to sit on that egg. And he, um, uh, I, Reb's book on the precepts called Being Upright, I really appreciate that phrase. Um, um, sometimes our posture can be an expression of that intention to live according to the precepts, including not harming, uh, not taking what is not given, using right speech, a kind speech. Um, so, um, and Rev talks about generosity providing um, a, um, a ground for ethical conduct because we want to um, act and speak in a way that expresses our, our uh, caring about other people, which I think can be connected to that impulse to be generous. And then uh, the third one, patience, uh, he sat and he sat, he sat and he sat through all these, you could say distractions or uh, challenges. And sometimes, you know, being true to something we want to uh, explore or an endeavor that's important requires patience. And I'm sure uh, for all of us sitting today will require some patience uh, to be able to, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean not moving when it comes to zazen. So I'll, I'll talk about that later, but even with some discomfort to continue to keep going, um, things don't always go the way we want them to, but can we still stay with something we've committed ourselves to do? And then uh, effort, it, I, I, I like the phrase joyful effort, which I learned from uh, a Zen teacher, Darlene Cohn, who's, who, who died some years ago. But even uh, she had rheumatoid arthritis and she was frequently in pain. And yet she practiced some, with something she called suffering and delight so that you can not push away the pain, not for not you know, try to ignore it, but also notice like uh, the blue sky or somebody's smile and uh, be able to experience suffering and delight. Not exactly at the same time, but one doesn't make the other impossible. Um, so I think of that as joyful effort. Uh, Tension Roshi Rem calls it heroic effort. And that can help with concentration, which is something we develop uh, in Sazen. And then wisdom, which is basically a, a, an awareness that we are uh, totally interconnected with each other and all beings and sentient and in, insentient being, beings. It's this a, a wisdom is uh, a sense of um, being part of something much bigger than ourselves. Sometimes you know, we, we live in a conventional world with um, uh, following schedules, you know, we need that kind of clock time to exist together, uh, do our work and all of that. 
but that's not all there is. There's another way of experiencing life and, um, and the sense that everything is part of us and we are part of everything else. And that's actually the uh, basis from which um, ethical conduct and uh, all of these paramitas emerge. Um, so, you know, again, just briefly back to Horton, he uh, developed concentration and, and then I think the wisdom was, uh, I think there's only one way in which I feel Horton wasn't uh, a total bodhisattva. And, and I don't actually know, you know, it doesn't say how he felt about Maisie uh, when she demanded that he get off the nest and this was her uh, egg. Um, but, you know, in a way he did what she offered. It didn't seem that he was judging or blaming her. Uh, and that was also a generous act. But <clears throat> sometimes, uh, you know, wisdom includes the ability to uh, appreciate everyone, even people who um, do things that we might not do ourselves that we disapprove of or who we um, are, uh, have some judgments about. And I see some people are maybe not feeling so comfortable sitting. So I, I feel free to uh, sit in rest position or move if you need to. Um, yeah, so just a few more words about patience from uh, Rev Anderson's Entering the Mind of Buddha. Uh, so Reb says, patience is the ability to sit calmly in the center of all suffering. Patience is not waiting for painful circumstances to go away. It's not attempting to control our experience. Patience is not trying to get away from physical or emotional discomfort, and it's not wallowing in them. Training in patience encourages us to be wholeheartedly present with whatever comes and goes. So uh, during a one day sit, we have many opportunities to be present with everything that comes and goes. And in the course of an ordinary day uh, in one's life that it, it, that's similar, things will come up that are pleasant and enjoyable, but we can't really hold on to them. And things will come up that will be challenging and we do our best to meet them. So, um, and, and also coming back to Suzuki Roshi's chapter on Sit Like an Elephant, he, he talks in that chapter quite a bit about Zazen. And he said, all the teachings come from practicing Zazen. So uh, just a few thoughts for those of you who are sitting today, uh, how to sit like an elephant. It's really helpful if you can find a position of ease in your body to be able to 
have some sense of both being upright and relaxed, particularly relaxing shoulders if you can, um, to uh, feel uh, supported. Uh, it's helpful if your knees don't quite meet, if you're sitting cross-legged and your knees don't touch the zabaton, you can use support cushions. Uh, but to provide support for your body, you can experiment if sitting, um, especially talking to people who are doing their first one day sitting. And I'll be meeting with some of you after this Dharma talk um, to uh, talk more about what, what are some of the ways in which we can sit that um, enable us to be still because that helps everything to be still, including our busy minds. Uh, and yeah, staying as much as possible with your breath uh, and with what arises moment to moment, letting things arise and fall, trying not to get involved in stories uh, as you're sitting. If you notice you're starting to get carried away by a train of thought to just notice that and find a way to come back, either hearing a sound or with, to your breath or to, uh, uh, I often find grounding myself again in my body is very helpful. So Suzuki Roshi said, we do not practice Sazen to, to attain enlightenment but rather to express our true nature. Even when your thinking is an expression of your true nature, when you are practicing, even your thinking is an expression of your true nature when you're practicing Zazen. So I think what he means by that is not to be harsh with yourself if you find yourself thinking uh, uh, another Zen teacher um, said that you know, the mind secretes thoughts the way the body secretes gastric juices. And so, you know, when thinking thoughts occur to allow them to come and go. Uh, so even our thinking is an expression of our true nature when we're practicing Zazen. Whatever we do is an expression of Buddha nature. And, uh, he also talks about not trying to judge whether our zazen is good or bad. It's whatever it is, is what it is. He also says, when we practice zazen, we're practicing with all the ancestors. If you sit with this understanding, having conviction in your Buddha nature, then sooner or later, you will find yourself in the midst of great masters. So I find, especially in the Zendo, where so many people have sat before us, uh, feeling sometimes feeling the support of all those people and of all the Buddhas and ancestors. We chanted their names this morning, for those of you who were here. Um, they're with us. They're not people who lived. I mean, they are people who lived um, ages ago. And yet, in some way, they are here with us, um, and they can support us if we can draw from their wisdom and um, strong practice. 
and I, and so I would say, uh, we will find ourselves in the midst of great Zen masters, including cows and elephants. So thank you very much for your attention. Um, just want to say that, uh, and I, I think actually our Eno will talk about what's next, but I do want to encourage those of you who are sitting your first one day sit, or if you're having any struggles so far to come back uh, in a, uh, about 10 minutes after the Dharma talk, and we'll have a chance to talk about some of the ways that you might feel more supported during this one day sit. And for everyone who's going out into the world, uh, please think about at some point what it means to move like a cow or an elephant. Um, so thank you all for your kind attention. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered at no cost, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfcc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.